Hello everyone, football never sleeps and indeed the Athletic Football Podcast will return for its summer run on Monday the 13th of June. But in the meantime, we wanted to give you a taste of another series from the Athletic Podcast Network called The Moment with Kelly Cates and Jeff Thomas. In this episode, Kelly and Jeff were joined by Gary Lineker, who opened up about his son George's battle with leukaemia as a baby. Gary reflects upon those days spent with George in hospital back in 1992 and the lasting impact that they made. We'll be dropping other episodes from the moment on this feed over the coming days, but to listen to the full series, head to podfollow.com slash moment. The Athletic. Can you remember the one moment that changed your life forever? The moment that put everything in perspective. I'm Kelly Cates. And I'm Jeff Thomas. And in this series, we're sharing the stories of sports people who've experienced and overcome moments of adversity. This is The Moment. In 2003, after a 20-year career in football, playing for the likes of Crystal Palace, Wolves and England, I was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukaemia. I was given just three months to live. But after two years of treatment and a stem cell transplant, I overcame the disease. Our guests will share how their lives have been shaped by times of adversity and how those experiences have made them the people they are today. I wanted to speak to fellow sports people to find out how, like me, they overcame these moments. In this episode... I did used to have this recurring dream and... And had it for quite some time, even after he finished treatment of um, of carrying a tiny little white coffin. Um, it was horrible. Um, woke me up so many times. Gary Lineker is one of England's greatest ever strikers, and he's gone on to be one of TV's most recognisable personalities. Gary is father to four sons who've grown to share his love of the sport and Leicester City. His firstborn, George, battled with a rare form of leukaemia when he was just a baby. And in this discussion, Gary reflects on those days spent with George in hospital in 1992 and the lasting impact they made. Well, Gary, thank you very much for for joining us. Um, Before we get to talking about the details of of what happened and and George's illness and and the effect that that it had on you, just give us a bit of context to this. It, where were you in your careers? This we're, we're trying to work out how the, the time scale works. So we, you were you were still at Tottenham. I was at Tottenham. Yeah. So it was ninety uh, one. Um, he was born in I think second of October. Well, I know he was born in the second of October. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was about six weeks after that. So it was kind of pre Christmas um, around that time. Um, it was middle of November when we first noticed um, that he had some kind of issue. It was started. It was it was strange. It was like a little had a little. Sp- not a spot, but like a bump on his forehead. It was like, but it was hard. So we noticed that and just thought it was a skin thing. Mm. And then it, it got bigger and a bit harder. So we thought we'd take him to get checked. And um, the doctors thought it was a, a skin condition, uh, an unpronounceable skin condition. I can't remember what they said it was. And, but they thought they would take a, a little biopsy just in case. So they did that. And then they said, we'll have another check in a just under two weeks time and um, in the interim period he had more of these spots appear and it was on his all, all on his head um to the 
extent really that he looked a little bit like a golf ball on the top of his head because obviously he's bold but there's bumps everywhere and so we went back for the check and when we went there they said well the news is that it's come back and it is this skin condition that they thought so we thought oh that's good but in the last two or three days before we went back for the check he'd started to be clearly unwell and he was groaning as I and 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 he's it's kind of he had a lot of little swellings in his body and his lymph nodes and stuff like that. So I said, "Well, you say that," I said, "but um, I, I just don't think he's very well. He seems, you know, he's groaning a lot of the times, and he's, you know, his glands are up under his arms and his groins." And um, oh, they said, "Oh, really? Um, let's have a look." And there were two of them, and I, I never, never forget it. They just, you know, they took his nappy off, just did look, and they just looked at each other and they went, "Oh." Um, I'm really sorry to tell you this is something far more serious. And obviously it was our, it was our first child and was two months into and it was, well, what do you mean more serious? And they said, you know, we'd have to do some tests um, on his blood count and stuff, but it's, it really does look like leukaemia. So it was like, um, that's a word I, I knew about. It wasn't something I was an expert on. I knew it meant it was some kind of blood cancer and it, it, was, it just felt like... The end of the world within half an hour in the back of an ambulance going to Great Ormond Street. It must have felt unreal as well. It, uh, it was. It was. It was very yeah surreal. It, it was just horribly surreal. You know, everything had gone so well in everything that I, you know we'd ever done. We had good life. You know, good career, and then first child. It was very exciting, and then it was like whack. And it's a. It's a. You know, it's difficult. Um, it was such a difficult time because. Um, all of a sudden from being kind of okay, we were being told that, you know, this is incredibly difficult for him to make it through the night, the night, because we obviously, if it had been two days later, I think we'd have, I don't know what we'd probably checked it anyway, because he was obviously getting seriously unwell, but, and then they were, you know, they, these platelet counts through the floor. So, and they also said they've got to start chemo immediately because it's in such a state. So the first thing they told us, the first thing we've got to do is try and get him over the next two or three days and then we'll evaluate and stuff like that. So it was, it was, it was, it was pretty grim, pretty grim. Do you remember that night, that, that first night? Yeah, I bet it was frightening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'll never forget that first night. Um, um, we went, we were taken to Great Ormond Street and I was with Michelle, obviously. And and they did all these tests and stuff. And at kind of the end of the night, they were trying, we were trying to, they gave us some sort of evaluation of, of, of his prospects and stuff. And they said, it's, it's, you know, it's not good. And they came to us with a somewhere between 10 and 20% survival rate with this thing at this age. But this was after they diagnosed the fact that it was acute myeloid leukemia rather than anything else. So none of it really made much sense to us at the time because you kind of in this, you know, we're crying, we're upset. Doctors are, what you find with doctors is strikingly honest. They don't, you know, they don't say, oh, I'd be all right, be all right. No, they go, well, this is, you know, it's like, and obviously they're used to doing it and they do it in a nice manner. But, um, and I, I, I have no idea what time it was, but eventually I went home and Michelle stayed on, on the ward with him, but there's only, you know, one little bed but the side of his, call it a cot or an incubator or whatever you call it. And I went home and we'd, we'd hadn't really said anything to anyone. And I, I woke up in the morning and I looked out the bedroom window and there was about, I don't know, 20 photographers. And, and I don't, you know, obviously I don't know where it came from. It could have been someone in the hospital. It could have been, who knows? 
but they were all outside. And I, I'd called Terry Venables the night before, who's Tottenham manager at the time, to tell him, and he's, and he was he was brilliant. He was really lovely. He said, "Listen, you, you take all the time in the world. This, this is way more important than football, etc." And actually. I then called him to tell him what was happening at the house and he said, I'm coming over. Um, and he came over and he drove me into the hospital, Terry. Uh, and he was, he, was, uh, he was brilliant. But it was all a bit of a blur, really, Kelly, in many ways. I can imagine. And th- there's a couple of things that you've, you've mentioned there which I was really interested in, in the effect on you of. And one of them was dealing with a really private situation when you don't know what's going on. You haven't even begun to process it yourself and yet suddenly there's all this intrusion into your extremely private situation it was difficult because they're also outside the hospital it's outside everywhere and it became this huge story but at the same time the public goodwill was 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 extraordinary i remember we'd been in there a few days and um there was this big black bin bag came and one of the nurses or brought it in and it was it was like full of letters and then the next day there was another one and there was another one there's another one and it was thousands and thousands of these lovely messages from people and um it took me two years actually to reply to them all but i did do it um, did you you replied, yeah, you replied to them all everyone yeah yeah two years it took me um if they left their address and stuff like that so um but um but it was kind of overwhelming and, and um, extraordinarily helpful in, in, in many ways. Um, and it also gave you something to do in hospitals, like reading, because um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a difficult time. But the first few days were really difficult. They had to put so much, you know, not, not just like blood platelets, chemotherapy, which is generally liquid and stuff. It, all intravenously into his body, plus plus kind of stuff to sustain him anyway. That he was because he was only eight weeks old. He was the shape. I don't know. It's not meant to be any kind of joke, but he was the shape of a football. He was just round ball because he had that much fluid. I thought it would come to a point where he might burst or something. But it was, you know. And then you start to learn to what it is, what the chances are. Right, okay, we've got chemotherapy course one. You know, they said to us what we really need. At this stage, if we can get him in remission, then that ups the chances to a degree. And then the following causes of chemotherapy, um, we hope will keep it away. And then it's just a question of whether it comes back. And the good news was that he he, he did respond. He got in remission after the first one. Um, but there were two. I, I remember at least twice, maybe three times, that we were told that you know that it was unlikely that he'd make it through the night. So, it, um, and he, and and some somehow he did, you know. Um, it was yeah. We we coped with it in different ways. Michelle's, I think, still now doesn't talk about it. She couldn't talk about it. Never, I don't know whether she still does now, but certainly at the time, didn't want you know. She was lived it. She was there. She stayed with him for seven months in hospital along by, by his side. Um, I used to go in every day, all day, and then go home and sleep. And, and then after a few weeks, I went back to kind of training. And Football helped, actually. Football was great. It's the only time when I was training or when I was playing games that I didn't think about it. So that, that you know, football was, a, um, as it is in many ways in my life, been a salvation. Back in 92 as well, the, the successes weren't great, was it, in any age? I mean, it's phenomenal now, the success rates with children. But then, 92, it was rare that they were surviving this. Did you do any research yes. yourself, apart from just take every word that the doctors were saying to you, that was it, black and white? 
I mean, they were very frank and very honest and, you know, the chances weren't good. But whilst you had hope, whilst there was hope, and I don't know whether it was the same with you personally, it's different when it's, you know, it wasn't me that had it. I Honestly, I wanted it to me to have it. I didn't want it for my little kid. But whilst there was hope, I was all right. I did used to have this recurring dream and... And had it for quite some time, even after he finished treatment of, of carrying a tiny little white coffin. Um, it was horrible. Um, woke me up so many times. But actually living through it, even when you're in hospital, there were good moments as well and bad moments. And uh, it was ups and downs. Um, you'd be all right for a, f- a couple of weeks and then you'd have another cause of chemo. And then obviously, you, as you well know, that wipes you out. of all. It doesn't just kill the good cells, it kills the bad cells. So it, it makes them pretty ill and very vulnerable to illnesses and uh, and stuff. So so you went through that and then he's, he's, you know, he had temperatures and massive fever and sometimes he'd, he'd had fits um, because of his temperature was so high. But then there were moments where you know that that bit where he he suddenly looked a bit well again, and they'd be he'd, there'd be little smiles, and that encourage you to 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 get through those um, those dark times. But yeah, Michelle and I handled it in different ways. She probably you know she went more down the praying route, whereas I don't I'm atheist, so I don't I didn't go down that route. But um, um, it was just different ways of handling it, really. I suppose that that comes down to looking for somebody to to take control of the situation, to be in charge of something where you feel completely helpless, you know, and, and Michelle handing it over to God, whereas you and the doctors, of course, whereas you're, you know, putting your faith in, in the doctors. But, you, but there's nothing really in that situation you can do to help. Not a lot. No, there wasn't. And that's the thing. You do feel a little bit helpless, um, but at the same time felt in very good hands. I still keep in touch with um, one of the doctors at that time, um, Hamish, who's gone on to great things. And, you know, it's, the science was incredible and, and the fact that they saved him. The difficult thing as well is you're on a ward with other parents, with other little ones in, in similar circumstances, and some of them didn't make it. They didn't make it while you were there. And, you know, I, I always say, you know, we were incredibly fortunate that he, he came through it and it was tough at the time it was tough living through it but whilst you had hope that was, I was always okay but seeing others seeing other parents lose their children was was that's kind of a, the worst thing and that I couldn't think about I couldn't think about losing him because I don't know how to cope I really don't did you take I did for a fact take comfort from the brutal honesty of it all mm. it was the only time in life I've, I've really had that sort of black and white answers and what was ahead yeah it's like this week is going or the next day in your case is going to be like this and that's where the comfort was where the, another day's gone and then it's, it's seen as a success and the doctors are telling Absolutely. you what to expect yeah yeah and I think I think the fact that they are so straight is important because that's what you want you, 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 you know, you don't want them to just say, oh, everything will be all right when they, they know it actually probably won't or there'll be certain, you know, but they used to tell you what, you know, how the how he might suffer from certain, you know, from the drugs and that they had to take to get him to try and get him better. That The fact that it, you know, would wipe out, you know, the cells that um, protect you and um, your immune system and stuff like that. So, you know, they, and they were straight about, you know, his overall chances, um, even the nights where they said, you know, he might not make it through the night that, you know, they're 
preparing, possibly preparing for the very worst. But I always appreciated that honesty. Um, and it must be so difficult to do that with, and to talk to, to parents in those circumstances because I don't know how they do it. I just don't know how they, you know, especially when you've got to give bad news. But I'll be eternally grateful for A, their brilliance, B, their incredible support, and C, their, their enormous honesty. And um, I've got so much admiration for, for everyone that was, was there, the doctors, the nurses, everyone. Going back to when George was in hospital and everything, how the hell did you keep sane for one thing and carry on playing? Because just going to my battle, obviously I had my girls were 10 and 7 and I was looking at them like you. I was, I was grateful it was me and not them, but you're yeah. going through that, but you're still playing. I was retired. I just had to get back to being healthy again for them. That was it. That was my only aim. But you had a commitment, obviously, to football still. And I actually yeah. played in a couple of games with you as well while you was this and I wasn't aware of it you know you, you just blinkers on when you're a footballer you just get up and you just live for football but you're going through this battle at the same time doing what you do it's like I say though Jeff it was it was the time that I could I could actually almost almost get it out of my mind you know which I, I think I was about three weeks without training or two or three weeks and then I said right I'm ready Terry I kind of come in because I needed it for me in a way there's a little bit of an escape from, you know, a whole day in, in a hospital ward, like looking for the worst signs or, or, or sometimes looking for good signs or, or whatever it was, just sitting there. And, it, you know, I'd, for me, the, the, Michelle deserves more credit than I did because I, I used footballers in a little bit of an escape. She had no escape. She was there, you know, 24-7. Um, you know, we used to pop out and have a bit of dinner in one of the restaurants around the corner from Great Ormond Street, and that was probably her only escape. But for me, football, when I was there, when I was training, and, you know, and particularly games and stuff, you know, it's like, Jeff, football's so all-encompassing. You've got to be so focused that it was the one time that I could forget about it. It was an escape. So... You know, people say, well, how did you manage to play? The playing bit was the easy bit. It was the bit in the hospital that was the hard bit. Um, so it was, you know, it was, a, it was just a blessing that I could I could play the sport that I love and switch off to a degree for, for a while. And then it was obviously then it's back to it. And always I remember, you know, even, even when you've got playing a match, at the end of it, the, you know, you go and then I go back to the hospital and as you go in the hospital, you always think, it's been a few hours now since I've heard anything. Is he going to be all right? So, and it's, you know, you don't, it, it, it's, it's hard to describe it because I don't want to make it sound like it was all absolute doom and gloom because within it, there were those wonderful moments about getting told he was in remission for the first time, which gives him a chance. This gives him a chance. And then keeping him in remission and then, then obviously get, an illness which they did all the time and his temperature was high and then you'd have that tenseness of a couple of days and then suddenly his temperature would come back to normal and all right okay it's another hurdle another hurdle we've overcome or he's overcome um with the medical help so it wasn't all doom and gloom there were good moments in there as well and then obviously at the end of it as you know yourself Jeff which because people always go don't they when he, when he comes out of hospital everyone's going oh he's in you know he's been cured and you go whoa 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 it's not, you know, yes, they can get rid of it, but we all know that that cure thing is, is they determine five years, don't they, post-remission. Post and then you have that weird thing where after seven months of living in hospital, you, you all go home 
And then when a normal, you know, a well baby or someone who's not had any issues gets a cold um, or something like that, it's, it's just a cold. You know, when George got a cold, it was like, it's not, is it? It's not coming back, is it? And I remember he got spot once on his head. Just, a, just a, it was an ordinary spot, it wasn't it? You know, it wasn't like the ones before. But it was like, oh my god, is 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 has it come back? Because you know, if it comes back, you're in real trouble, particularly with that illness, particularly at his age. So it was kind of you go home, and you think that's it, it's all over, but it's it, it's far from it because the worrying carries on, and every time they get a little something, a stomach upset or anything, it's you always weirdly fear the worst, but. He's nearly 30. <laughs> he's, 30. <laughs> he's nearly 30. And it was, it, I mean, it's a bit mad, but even last, I think it was last when he was, not this new year, just gone, the year, new year before, he went away, he was away with his mother and he jumped over a fence and he broke his leg, George. He just landed, he wasn't, yeah. you know, George, he's, I mean, he's fit, really fit. And he jumped over and he broke his leg. And then he went and he had, the x-rays and they put him in plaster and, and I can't remember the wording on it, but they said it was some sign of um, softness in the, in the bone or something. And then, and then you end up, you know, you do what you should never ever do, which is Google. And then it's, this can be, you know, some, it coming back, you know, and you go like he's 29 now and, and then suddenly you got that worry again. But in the end, it turned out to be, um, it was a cyst in the bone and we could do it. It was fine. It was nothing. But it just points out that it never fully, completely ever, you know, totally goes away. As a parent, even though he's, you know, he's nearly 30, he's, he's still your little boy in a way. Because you've got four boys, haven't you? Yeah. And and it's it's impossible to say, you know, do you, parent differently because George is your eldest and there's no way of knowing what kind of parent you would have been without all of this but I imagine you know how it changed you as a as a person and then that must influence the way you are as a as a parent as well I definitely I think it did change me as a person I was like I was you know I was so driven in what I did and and uh, as you have to be in, in football to make it and I was kind of almost a bit cold in many ways I was, I was always really you know, like that. I think it gave me empathy more than I probably had before. Uh, appreciation of, of um, and perspective um, of people that perhaps don't get things um, as 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 good as I've had in my life. Um, so I think I think in that sense it did change me. There's no question about that. Which I, I think is uh, it's probably a good thing. I don't know whether it changed me as a parent. Um, you know, I've got four boys. I have a great relationship with them all. You know, they've all got... T- t- funny enough, Tobias is actually a perfect match for George, just in case anything, you know, because um, in terms of... Because we kept his stem cells in some frozen bank somewhere just in case. Um, so, you know, but as a parent, have I changed? It's, it's hard to say because, it, as you say, it was my first and it was only... I only had a few weeks of it before that kicked in. But, yeah, I'd, People say, oh, did you ever think, oh, it might happen with another one of your others? And no, no, didn't, no, there were nothing like that. It didn't make me suddenly become glass half empty. I'm a glass half full kind of person, always have been. But um, so it didn't change me in that sense. I was going to say, did it change any decisions that you made after going through that experience, particularly in your career? Well, it was towards the end of my career, so I, 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 I don't know. Still went to Japan after that. I mean, it'd been, it was about a year and a half, a year post treatment a year and a half and we obviously we got advice and whether and they just you know they were very encouraging about still going and having that experience and and harry my second was born in japan um so 
I, it's it's hard to know, isn't it? Because I, I, I think at the end of my career, I mean, I finished with England shortly after that, but my legs were starting to go anyway. Um, so it was the end of my career. So I don't. I always knew what I wanted to do post football. I wanted to go into into the television world and hopefully present because I thought that would give me a niche if I could crack it. So nothing of the major decisions in life changed. It obviously didn't put us off having any more children. Uh, <laughs> actually, it's one to add the fourth one. I worked out what causes it. So. <laughs> <laughs> You've mentioned Michelle. I've, I've met Michelle a number of times and you say she handled things differently. Do you think her supporting the charities with blood cancer after the battle and everything helped her, but you sort of, you stayed away and sort of focused on your football. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, d I don't want to speak for Michelle, but I mean, she was unbelievable during the whole thing. She was there, you know, the whole time. She was great. Um, she's a lovely person. She's always been there and, and tried to help others um, anyway. But obviously, if things happen to you in your own life, it often motivates you to do things in that area i mean you've you've raised like millions but obviously your motivation came from the fact that you were ill yourself and that will be the same both in in the charity work that i've done subsequently and and certainly the things that michelle's been involved in as well definitely and like you said about michelle and i'm, I'm aware with, with what you said we're, we're talking about somebody who isn't isn't speaking for herself here but you said she's not somebody who wants to to talk about what happened with with George um, much, but even when I've I've looked back on you talking about it, Gary, it seems like it's it's something that you've been able to talk about more readily in recent years. It feels like it's taken a long time for you to get to the stage where you can talk about. It. Is, is that right? It needed a lot of time to pass because of that thing that I spoke about earlier. Because it's not like oh you're well now that's it. So you know in that period after that period after treatment, those years waiting for that all clear of five years even then as a parent you're still thinking well that's great but you know we're not it still can come back at some point so you know there's I think there was always a little bit of a fear of, of talking about it too much I did do a big interview not long after it to raise awareness I can't remember the charity at the time, it might have been Leukemia Research, or uh, there's about three or four charities that supported for, for quite a long time. So, so I did speak about it, but I've become more comfortable speaking about it because it, it it gets me emotionally, you know, you, as it would I think any parent. So, I suppose over the years, and and the fact that you know he is nearly thirty now, you know, and he's great, and he's super fit, and he's you know you wouldn't you know there are. You know, there are side effects to the treatment that they have at that, that stage, which is inevitable, but he's here. The reason I ask it is because you, you talk about particularly those seven months when, when he was very tiny and in hospital and the, and the subsequent years and you were still working and playing. And that was your, that was your pressure valve, really. That was your, your escape because it was somewhere where you, you didn't have to, to think about it. And as a coping mechanism, did that work for you, that sort of almost distancing yourself from it at times when it became too much. I, I wasn't deliberately distancing myself in, in any way, but it, it, it was such a welcome respite, even if it was just for a couple of hours on the training pitch. I never really liked training, but it was a, for, for <laughs> um, but at that stage of my life, um, it was, you know, to, to get in there with the, with the lads in the dressing room, on the training pitch, 
the inevitable banter. You know, the guys were lovely with me as well. They were all lovely. And Terry Venables, as I said before, was, was, was amazing and so supportive. And the players were as well. But at the same time, you know, there was, we could still have a bit of fun in training. And, you know, then we'd have the matches and the good moments and the not so good moments. But the not so good moments didn't seem to be that important anymore. <laughs> you know, losing the game of football, which was always heartbreaking. No, not, not quite so. Um, so I think I was always aware of how incredibly fortuitous I've been in life to have been given, you know, to have this gift to be able to score goals. And the truth is, without people like Jeff, who had raised money for years and years before that into research and things like that, George would not have had the chance in life that he now has. Scientists are fantastic and the, the doctors and the medics are you know, brilliant, but, you know, you still need, you need people to, to raise the funds um, for that kind of research to, to give kids like uh, my George the chance in life. And obviously George doesn't remember a thing no. about it, but do you talk to him about it or does he ask about it? Um, yeah, we've had, yeah, we've had conversations. Of course we have lots of them. Um, um, he, you know, he has absolutely no memory of it. I mean, he was nine months old when he finished, you know, finished the treatment. So, you know, he has memories of going back for checks, you know, he went back monthly and then it became three monthly, then it becomes six monthly, then it becomes yearly, then it becomes two yearly. So he still goes back now. It's, it's, it's primarily for research purposes because they want to see what, you know, possible side effects and stuff like that of the, the treatment they go through. So um, he still goes back once in a while, but um, but he's, you know, no memory of it at the time. But yeah, but he's he's aware of it. And and it's nice that he got to a stage where he was not, I never wanted to push him down that route. But he got to a stage where, you know, he wants to help people and make a difference himself in terms of raising money. And he's, he's I know he's been a, you know, alongside Jeff on, on, on certainly one of his bike rides which he said nearly killed him, <laughs> which is probably the wrong words at the minute on this subject. That's what I was about to say. He's, he's such a, a lovable guy. And it, it's, it's like he is aware of, you know, when he was doing the ride London to Paris with us, it does feel like the way he is, he's, it, it feels, I don't know, it's very tough to describe, but it, you can sense that he's, he's lucky and he's, he's, he's making the most of it, isn't he? He's, he's, he's a great, he, he was asleep half the time. Every time we stopped off the bike, he was falling asleep. He's, he's a big guy, but uh, I think he found out it was pretty tough. But do you think it's, it is uh, a factor in his personality? That it is, he's not aware of it, obviously, the battle he went through, but because people have told him since. I think it has to to be in there, even if it's subconsciously, but it's, it's definitely there. He's definitely aware of it. He knows, you know, I don't have too in-depth conversations about you know, but because he's quite phlegmatic, George, and he's, he, you know, he's quite self-deprecating. He'd, he'd like to take the mickey out of himself a little bit. But of course it's in there. Um, have to, how can it not be? It's not the fact, because even though he doesn't remember it himself, because it was so public, you know, <laughs> people know about the story. I mean, as time goes on, obviously you have to be of a certain age to remember it, but... You know, even now when I'm, somebody said, oh, it's, you know, George will get a mention, and he went, then they'll go, wasn't that the kid that wasn't very well? You know, was that the baby? Yeah. So he's he gets that, so, you know, people. So how can he not be aware of it? Of, of course he is. But it's, you know, it it's not something we talk about all the time. Of course we don't. But we have had we have had discussions on it. And his, his relationship with his brothers, is he seen as the older 
No, there are always these scenes, the rest of the brothers still sort of protect him. Um, they all protect each other in a way. They've got a real bond. Um, um, George is obviously he's the oldest, but yeah, and he's, you know, he's hugely supportive of his brothers. I love how they all get on, actually. It's one of the it's one of the joys of life um that they that they do. Um, because obviously families you you know you have fallouts and sometimes you don't get on, but there's a, there's a real camaraderie and a lot of piss taking amongst them, a lot of banter, <laughs> and um, which is I think the last thing in the world George would want would be to seen as like the victim or something because of what happened to him then. And and don't forget, none of the boys were alive when that happened. You know, none of the they weren't with us, these brothers. So um, I don't know how that would have affected their relationship. Probably not that much for the other three, but certainly possibly in some way with George. I don't know. But it's, it's like you said, it's turning that experience. And even even though he has no memory of, of the, the time he spent in a hospital, but it's about turning that experience into something where he feels motivated to, to help people. And you've all, as a, as a family, had involvement with, with charities. And you've all, Jeff, you've, you've all worked together, haven't you, on, on different things? I know you were saying George came on one of the, the rides, the London to Paris ride. Yeah, and Gary's been great. Gary has a profile, obviously, everybody knows Gary's profile, and he, he probably gets asked every single day. Well, he tells me he gets asked every single day. <laughs> That's things. just by you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I know when I need to ask Gary to help because we are doing some really important research and clinical research into making a difference. When I do need Gary to lift the profile of what we're asking actually is, Gary's always been there helping, so eternally grateful. And George, like I say, is just a lovely guy and he's, he's always there uh, if, if I need him, I'm sure. Uh, it's no, but what you know, what you've done, Jeff, is is is, is remarkable, um, brilliant, and you know I, I'm full of admiration for it. But having gone through what you've been through, having gone through what we've gone through, kind of as a family, um, how could you not want to try and help others in 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 similar situations down the line? Because that's that's what's given us the chance. So you know, and I uh, think while I feel like I'm making a difference, you know, I will carry on doing what I do but um, you know I couldn't do it without the profile of people like Gary Ian Ryan and all these guys in the world of football that I helped out over the over the years Gary do you we're, we're, we're sort of talking about this as you know the moment in your life do you see it as a moment that's kind of before George was ill and after George was ill do, do you see it in that way I don't see it in that way but there's obviously a degree of truth in that and also it kind of coincided towards the end of my career as well. So it was, you know, in many, in many ways it was, and my first child. So it was, here's parenthood, here's the end of your career, you're going into something else. And and by the way, here's this illness you've got to deal with as well. But, you know, life's, life's full of, you know, ups and ups and downs. I've had so many ups and more than I probably deserve, but... Um, but that was, you know, that was a brutal period. But even that ended up okay, you know. So it was the other parents that that was always the thing was was saying, and it's not that you felt guilty because your, your kid was getting through it because that's just daft. But there was a degree of, you know, why's George been all right and their little kid didn't make it? Why, you know, unanswerable questions unanswerable questions but we really appreciate you talking to us today Gary thanks so much for your time my pleasure thank you for listening to The Moment brought to you by The Athletic 
If you were affected by anything you heard in today's episode and would like to speak to someone in confidence, you can call the Samaritans for free anytime, day or night on 116 123.